0: Today we are going to look at Satoshi's emails from November 2008, and there's four of them here today we're going to review, and it's a back and forth between James A. Donald, there's also Ray Dillinger, who also participates on November 6th, which is today, the day of this recording. So let's start. You can see the archives of the cryptography mailing list from November 2008 here. And um, you can see that Satoshi got some a good amount of feedback, actually, for the month of November. About three quarters of the month was taken up talking about the Bitcoin white paper and the system. On the cryptography mailing list, you can see Halafini is in here as well, chiming in. James A. Donald seemed really interested at the time, he had a lot of comments. John Levin, Levin is also commenting. So yeah, this is kind of historical uh, emails of Satoshi's back and forth with people. Um, let's start with the first reply. So we already went through Satoshi's first email where he's proposing the white paper and you can still find that here. And if you haven't uh, read through the white paper, there's a good video on that that I did a week ago. and You can find that somewhere on this channel. Um, So this is a reply to that email by James A. Donald. It's the first reply, November 2nd, three days later. We very much, very much need such a system. But, the way I understand your proposal, it does not seem to scale to the required size. For transferable proof-of-work tokens to have value, they must have monetary value. To have monetary value, they must be transferred within a very large network. For example, a file trading network akin to BitTorrent. To detect and reject a double spending event in a timely manner, one must have most past transactions of the coins in the transaction, which naively implemented requires each peer to have most past transactions, or most past transactions that occurred recently. If hundreds of millions of people are doing transactions, that is a lot of bandwidth. Each must know all or a substantial part thereof. All right, and then we got Satoshi's reply to that feedback um, on the same day, November 2nd, a couple hours later. Actually, how fast was Satoshi to the reply? Let's see here. So this was 2037, 1846. Pretty quick, yeah, just like two hours later. uh, He gave back a reply to that criticism or feedback Um, and Satoshi says here long before the network gets anywhere near as large as that it would be safe for users to use simplified payment verification section 8 to check for double spending which only requires having the chain of the block headers or about 12 kilobytes of data per day SPV which is like um, pruned nodes so You don't have to store the entire blockchain um, if you're running a full node. Um, You can run a pruned node which only stores as much as you want. Um, As little as I think it's around eight gigabytes at the moment. It's not a full node. It's not fully verifying all the blocks and all the data but it's verifying enough um, so that you're not trusting someone else's node but you're trusting your own node. It's not perfect but it's better than not running a node and it's Better than trusting someone else's node to verify for you. Only people trying to create new coins would need to run network nodes. At first, most users would run network nodes, but as the network grows beyond a certain point, it would be left more and more to specialists with server farms of specialized hardware. So already, like, Satoshi's predicting ASICs here, and the separation of... Um, or specialization of node runners and and miners potentially. Uh, maybe not specifically mentioned in here but it, it's kind of implied. Um, he goes on here a server farm would only need to have one node on the network and the rest of the lane connects with that one node. And he's right. That's what um, miners typically do is like they either outsource uh, their node operation to a mining pool, or they run their own node, and um, they only need one. So it's pretty cool. But ideally, you have more than one as a miner because you want that backup um, just in case your node goes down. He goes on, uh, The bandwidth might not be as prohibitive as you think. Uh, a typical transaction would be about 400 bytes. ECC is nicely compact. Each transaction has to be broadcast twice, so let's say one kilobyte per transaction. Uh, Visa processed 37 billion transactions in um, fall of 2008, or an average of 100 million transactions per year, or sorry, per day. That many transactions would take 100 gigabytes of bandwidth, or the size of 12 DVDs, or two HD quality movies. Or about $18 worth of bandwidth at current prices. If the network were to get that big it would take several years and by then sending two HD movies over the internet would probably not seem like a big deal. And he's right. So we got uh, James's reply to Satoshi um, about uh, pruned nodes or SPV nodes And he's saying, if I understand simplified payment verification correctly, new coin issuers need to store all coins and all recent coin transfers. There are many new coin issuers, as many as want-to-be issuers, but far more coin users. Ordinary entities merely transfer coins. To see if a coin transfer is okay, they report it to one or more new coin issuers and see if the new coin issuer accepts it. This is a wrong characterization of the system, by the way. Uh, New coin issuers check transfers of old coins so that their new coins have valid form, and they report the outcome of this check so that people will will report their transfers to the new coin issuer. This is somewhat accurate. Ordinary entities can also be validators of these transactions in terms of are these these properly constructed transactions that follow the consensus rules. So it's not just coin issuers that are participating in this validation process. It's, it's also um, ordinary entities who are broadcasting transactions, receiving broadcasted transactions in their mempools, and checking to make sure that they're valid. If someone double spends a coin and one expenditure is reported to one new coin issuer and the other simultaneously reported to another new coin issuer, than both issuers to swiftly agree on a unique sequence order of payments. This, however, is a non-trivial problem of a massively distributed massive database, a notoriously tricky problem for which there are, are at present no peer-to-peer solutions. Obviously, it is a solvable problem. People solve it all the time, but not an easy problem. People fail to solve it rather more frequently. But let us suppose that the coin issue network is dominated by a small number of issuers, at seem, as seems likely. If a small number of entities are issuing new coins, this is more resistant to state attack than with a single issuer. But the government regularly attacks financial networks with the financial collapse ensuing from the most recent attacks still underway as I write this. And he's referring to the 2008 uh, financial crisis there. Government-sponsored enterprises enter the the business. In due course, bad behavior is made mandatory, and the evil financial network is bigger than than the honest financial network. With the result that even though everyone knows what is happening, people continue to use the paper issued by the evil financial network because of network effects. The big main issuers are the issuers you use if you want to do business. Then, knowledgeable people complain that the evil financial network is heading for disaster, that the government-sponsored enterprises are about to cause a collapse of the total financial system, as Willie Wilson and Alan Greenspan complained in 2005. The government debates shrinking the evil government-sponsored enterprises, as with S-190, 190th Federal Housing Enterprise Regulatory Reform Act of 2005, but they find easy money too seductive. And S190 goes down in flames before a horde of political activists chanting that easy money is sound and opposing it is racist, Nazi, ignorant, and generally hateful. The recent S190 debate on limiting portfolios, bond issues bond issue supporting dud mortgages by government sponsored enterprises being a perfect reprise of the debates on limiting. The issue of new assignats in the 1790s. <laughs> this guy. So, this is a bit of a tangent. I'm, I apologize, but it's, it's somewhat of, uh, of an interesting tangent. I've, I've never read this before, so uh, forgive me the mistakes here. The big and easy government attacks on money target a single central money issuer, as with the first of the modern political attacks, the French assignat of 1792. But in the late 19th century, political attacks on financial networks began. As for example, the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. The goal always being to wind up the network into a single too-big-to-fail entity, and they have been getting progressively bigger, more serious, and more disastrous, as with the most recent one. Each attack is hugely successful, and after the cataclysm that the attack causes... The attackers are hailed as saviors of the poor, the oppressed, and the nation generally. And the blame for the bad consequences is dumped elsewhere, usually on Jews, greedy bankers, speculators, etc. Because such attacks are difficult for ordinary people to understand. I have trouble understanding your proposal. Ordinary users will be easily bamboozled by a government-sponsored security update further when the crisis hits to disagree with the line to doubt that the regulators are right and the problem is the evil speculators uh, becomes political suicide as it did in america in 2007. sometimes physical suicide as in weimar germany hmm. There's is a pretty dire post here <laughs> still it is better and more resistant to attack by government-sponsored enterprises than anything I have seen so far. Oh well, that's high praise. Thank you. If there were a hundred or a thousand money issuers by the gov- by the time the government attacks the kind of government attacks on financial networks that we have recently seen might well be more difficult. Well, that is kind of the current state of Bitcoin at the moment. We got thousands of nodes. We got um, thousands of ASICs. Um, we maybe have like hundreds of miners in terms of uh, groups of miners. So, not not bad. We're not doing too bad so far. Um, <laughs> uh, let's end here. But I think we need to concern ourselves with minimizing the data and bandwidth required by money issuers. For small coins, the protocol seems wasteful. It would be nice to have the full protocol for big coins and some shortcut for small coins, wherein people trust account-based money for small amounts till they get wrapped up into bitcoins wow that's the lightning network (laughs) wow that's fucking cool (laughs) you just you just described the lightning network that's fun um the smaller the data storage and bandwidth required for money issuers the more resistant the system is the kind of government attacks on financial networks that we have recently seen yeah these are all fair points um gets a little hazy in the middle here with uh some of the political stuff but i kind of get the gist of this uh this feedback it's very it's very cool because one you get you get you get lightning network in here that is so fucking cool to see like even back then it was like yeah big coins and little coins we need maybe like two different networks here um no, that's not specifically said, but like the implication is in there. So it's it's so fun to see that. Um even like in the this is the third email about Bitcoin. <laughs> so and it's pretty fun. Here's the fourth email about Bitcoin. Um it's by a different participant, Ray Dillinger. And it's on November sixth and two thousand eight. And it's also a comment in reply to the SPV verification uh, comment by Satoshi, I believe. Or this may be James A. Donald's uh, comment actually. Yeah, so this is actually in reply to James. So Ray is saying, I think the real issue with this system is the market for Bitcoins. Ooh, computing proofs of work have no intrinsic value. We can have a limited supply curve, although the currency is inflationary at about 35%, as that's how much faster computers get annually. No, this is wrong. But there's no demand curve that intersects it at a positive price point. Well, at the time, you might have been right, but that has proven not so so accurate. There's demand. I know the same lack of intrinsic value can be said of fiat currencies, but an artificial demand for fiat currency is created by, among other things, taxation and legal tender laws. Also, even a fiat currency can be an an inflation hedge against another fiat currency's high rate of inflation. But in the case of bitcoins, the inflation rate of 35% is almost guaranteed by the technology There are no supporting mechanisms for taxation and no legal tender laws. People will not hold assets in this highly inflationary currency if they can help it. Bear. (laughs) Well, okay. Well, bear, you're wrong. Because like, one, the inflation rate is not 35%. It is, it probably was 35% per year in the first four years when the, uh, the block reward was 50 Bitcoin per block. And then it was halved into, into uh, 25 Bitcoin per block after four years. So this guy just didn't understand the the halving and the uh, declining currency issuance of Bitcoin um, and the supply cap of 21 million Bitcoin, which, by the way, is not in the white paper. And that's probably why he didn't get it because like, Satoshi, you didn't put 21 million in the white paper. You put it on your website, but you didn't put it in the white paper. And people are reading the white paper and they need to know the supply cap. <laughs> no wonder they're confused. Come on, Satoshi. Help help us out. <laughs> um so this one somewhat like whatever, whatever, Ray. But I like James. James. There's something in here. James is thinking, James is thinking like, okay, James is scaling up. He's thinking, okay, what is this system like in like 20 years? And it's like, it's grown to hundreds of millions of people. What then, you know? And one, we're not going to have support for um, everyone because little coins are kind of, you know... It doesn't really work out for them they have to pay a lot of fees or it seems wasteful for that so like can we have some kind of like thing where they settle later on as a bigger coin and that is kind of a rough description of the lightning network so it's kind of neat to see that described here even all the way back in 2008 as the third email about bitcoin very cool uh, there's concerns about bandwidth, which is fair, um, but, you know, the technicals of Bitcoin running a node, it's not a big deal in this day and age. The bigger thing about bi- running a Bitcoin node right now is like education that it's not that hard at all. Most people think it's like climbing Everest, but really it's like a one-click download, install, and run the program, it's, and it does it automatically. Learning how to do that in a safe, secure, private, and verifying way—well, that's a lot more work. Um, but just to get started, like running a Bitcoin node is like really just a one-one-click install job. It's not hard at all, and the bandwidth re- like requirements, nah, it's like whatever, at least in the West. Um, yeah, and if you're worried about bandwidth. Don't be a listening node, or be an uh, SPV node, you know, be pruned. It's not, not a big deal. Uh, there's even different kinds of nodes now. There's like zero sync that is eventually coming out, which will be very lightweight, like less than a gigabyte. So you can run a node on your phone. And there's neutrino nodes that are out right now that you can also run on your phone. I, I believe Phoenix Wallet runs a neutrino node in the background. Maybe even Zeus Wallet does that too as well. So like, you can run a Bitcoin node on your phone, no problem. And that's today. It's like, what, 14 years later? 15? I guess it's 15 years, yeah. So this was fun. Um, I hope someone got something out of this. And if you have any comments, questions, concerns, you know, feel free to leave a comment and I'll try to get back to you. I'm going to try doing more of these emails, just going through them day by day as they happened all the way back in November of 2008. And I'll try keeping up with those. Next one will be uh, November 8th, James A. Donald again. And you can go through these yourself if you want. They're all public, all available on the cryptography mailing list. And I'll put a link somewhere in the description. Okay, I will end by saying uh, thank you to the Bitcoin YouTube channel for letting us uh, host our you know videos here yeah if you want to participate in this open source channel you can by going to their github and you can apply to be a contributor like myself and then you can upload your own videos and you know participate in this community if you want to participate in my community you can go over to bitcointech.help and uh, that will redirect you to our discord channel where we uh, help people set up bitcoin nodes and generally just Um, Help them with Bitcoining. Yeah. Check us out. Thanks for watching.